Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor of fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Sunny D, your Gushers, and your Thai Beanie Baby, and let's get into the episode. Hey, you guys, before we get into today's case, we want to let you know that there has been an update in the case since we recorded it. So we're going to give you um, the update at the end of the episode. We're just letting you know right now, as you're listening, know that at the time of the recording, there had not been an arrest made in the case, but there has since been. So we're going to, we're just going to play the whole episode as it was recorded. And then at the very end, we've got an update to give you about the arrest in the case. Enjoy. Well, hey, you guys. Hey, it's a mixtape. Sure is. Man, so let's see. We're recording. We're coming to you from the past. So, uh, what is the point of what you're saying? I was trying to see when it will actually. Oh, so it's February now when you're listening. What? Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, case I don't see you. <laughs> We're going to run that out. Oh, yeah. It's going to be bad. Yeah. Also, like, Mary Chrysler. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Yeah. Right. Well, that part's done, isn't it? Sure. It sure is. This actually was not requested by anybody. No, sure wasn't. Mm-mm. But we do want to thank Madison for writing it up. Yes. And essentially requesting it. Well, right. That's the beauty of being a writer. If you find one you want to dive into, by all means. Fucking get after so it. So do. Yep, so do. We don't care. <laughs> don't that fun. <laughs> yeah. So, Madison, we hope we do this one justice for you, girl. Yes, but before we get into it, we do have some trigger warnings. We sure do. Murder. Mm-hmm. Gore. Yes. Sexual assault. Yes. So, of course, if that's something that you cannot here, if it's triggering, whatever the reason is, no worries. We will catch you on the next episode. I'm just going to go ahead and say to you that I forgot my warm thing. Oh, no. Yeah. And it's still snowy outside and have to turn off the heat and air, you know, for you guys. How I'm selfless are you? I know, right? No, I'm just kidding. But turned it off because I am a professional. And uh, now I'm just freezing my buns off. When you say your warm thing, do you mean your cozy scrody? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Forgot it right down the stairs, didn't I? Man. Yeah. That thing is toasty AF. Oh my gosh, yeah. Sometimes I just get plain hot. <laughs> and then you become sweaty balls. Exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Yes. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. On May 4th, 2007, Patricia... Patricia! Patricia! <laughs> 
it's after lunch, guys. And yeah, it's they the know fourth that, word. Think, yeah. In. Because you said Patricia. And they were like, oh, fuck, they're recording after lunch again. <laughs> I think it's actually pronounced Patricia. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Fucking idiot. <laughs> Woo! Oh my gosh. On May 4th, 2007, Patricia Tice opened her door to find two sheriff's deputies standing on her front porch. They told her that her 19-year-old daughter, Brittany McGlone, was deceased. And they wouldn't elaborate. They just told her that her body was en route to a funeral home. Patricia, if you may, soon found out that not only was her daughter dead, but she had been brutally murdered. And Brittany had suffered a vicious attack while she was sleeping and died from blunt force trauma to the head. She was sleeping in her boyfriend's bed after a long night shift at work. And her boyfriend and his family were out of the house during the day and Brittany's boyfriend returned home to find her dead in his bed covered in blood. One of the first things that crossed Patricia's mind when she found out her daughter was dead was that son of a bitch killed her. Patricia and the rest of her family believed that Brittany's boyfriend was involved in her murder along with a family friend with a history of violent crimes. OMG. I know. But you guys are going to be lost unless we go back to the beginning, right to the beginning. And the only person that can take us there is Hillary. Let's go back, back to the beginning, back to when the earth, the sun, the stars all Danielle McGlone was born on November 9th, 1987 to Ron McGlone and Patricia Bumpus Tice in Alamogordo, New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah. Ron and Patricia wanted to have a child and were especially excited to have a girl. When Brittany was young, the family moved to Winsboro, a small town with a population of less than 4,000 located in northwestern Texas. And how big is that? It's not any bigger than your mother's Jack Russell. Mm Mm-mm. You you carpet the whole place. What did they say? You could, they had it carpeted? Yes. The place is so small, they recently had it carpeted. There it is. Yeah. Not, you can carpet it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody says that. I don't, it sounds inappropriate. Carpet the bitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Soap that boot. <laughs> Not long after their move, though, Ron and Patricia divorced. Despite the difficult situation, Brittany continued to flourish. Her father married Dana, who became Brittany's stepmother. Brittany had several half siblings, including six brothers and one sister. Typical family. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> Though Brittany grew up in East Texas, across the state from her half sister, Hope, the two were still very close. Hope and Brittany shared the same father and often visited one another, sometimes spending summers and holidays together. It was like an extended slumber party with your best friend, staying up late, talking, laughing, and playing video games. When I heard, okay, so there is another podcast out there called, oh shit, I don't want to mess it up because I want to, I want to give credit where credit is due. Sure. Gone Cold is the name of the podcast. Okay. And this is their release from November 10th, 2019. But he actually talked to Hope 
and Patricia on the phone. So the the story comes from them. But hearing Hope talk about this, like she's like, you know, we'd stay up playing video games. It just took me right because they're our age. Like I know it took me right back to like, you know, staying up playing the PlayStation or like playing Tony Hawk and like, you know, listening to the radio and honestly, listen, playing Tony Hawk a good bit for the music too. But like oh, yeah. they're playing the Sims all night or whatever. Just like <laughs> I don't know. Or Spyro. Oh, yeah. Burden CDs. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Pirate and shit off Napster. <laughs> LimeWire, what? Yep. Okay. But Hope said the summers she spent in East Texas with Brittany were some of the best days of her life. People describe Brittany as a bright, silly girl. She was positive and could always find the silver lining to things. Her sense of humor was described as goofy, and she made it impossible to have a bad day when you were around her. Hope said that her sister had a wonderful personality. Quote, you couldn't help but feel happy around her. With her positive outlook on life, she would just radiate good energy. I don't think she ever had a bad day. We should all strive to live like she did. So sweet. That is convicting to me a little bit. Because you feel like you could live like that? No, I feel like I don't live like that. That's what I'm saying. Like you could, you should strive to live like that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like I feel like if uh, somebody I don't know if they talk to you about me mm-hmm. post mortem, yep, you'd be like that bitch never had a good day in her life. Nope, brought a bitch down is all she did. <laughs> why do I talk like that? As soon as I don't you know pass. why you talk like that. What <laughs> you tell me? This is not my fault. <laughs> if you don't like your brought a verbiage, bitch down, she did. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you need to work on your grammar. Is what you need to do. Okay. (laughs) See, even after death, you're still criticizing me. Yes, still got it. (laughs) Hey, you guys. um, It's us again. Yay, it's us. We threw threw you for a loop on this one. (laughs) Uh, So we know that a lot of you have been asking, like, WTF, where are episodes 1 through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember, though... We need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so here are the details. You'll be able to access our what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app, through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. On the Facebook page, Seeking Justice for Brittany, Hope went into more detail about Brittany calling her a country girl who loved being outside. She graduated from Winsboro High School in 2006 and was taking a gap year in between graduation and college. She took honors classes at high school or at school and was someone who never gave in to peer pressure. She worked two jobs, one at Alco Discount Store and one at the Lowe's Distribution Center. Her plan was to save up money so she could attend nursing school at Baylor College. She even helped take care of her younger brothers and her blind grandmother. Wow. I mean, a saint. Mm Mm-hmm. She was dedicated to God, her family, and her country. I love this list of likes. (laughs) Yeah, here we go. She liked horses, blue jeans, boots, her truck, yellow Mustangs, sleeping, dogs, anything tiny, 
Music, money, shopping, tank tops, t-shirts, Harmony, Jaeger, Jack Daniels, Cinnamon Schnapps, Happy Bunny, Tinkerbell, and many other things. Oh, Happy Bunny. Remember Happy Bunny? Oh yeah. my gosh. Again, this just like brings you right back. Oh I know. my gosh. She disliked feet. Sure. Drugs, cigarettes, lies, gossip, violence, and anything or anyone that hurt her family. It's just such a real list of likes and dislikes. It really is. Hope said that her favorite thing about Brittany was her sense of humor and how deeply she cared for her family. The girls and their siblings had tons of inside jokes and were constantly quoting movies and being good. It's just like hitting me how similar I feel like we are to these girls. Uh, Being goofy in public to make each other laugh. She spoke of a time when they went to Six Flags theme park. Hope dared Brittany to do an Irish kick in front of a stage where a band was playing. And Brittany, being the silly girl that she was, did it, making her sister laugh so hard that she beat her pants. (laughs) We used to have a friend when we were little that if she laughed too hard, she would pee her pants and her parents would be like, stop laughing! (laughs) Don't laugh too hard! (laughs) Because she would just accidentally pee a little. I love it. In 2006, Brittany was able to visit Hope in West Texas for her 16th birthday party. As usual, the girls had a great time with each other. They were even already planning their next summer. Unfortunately, those plans never came. Brittany was murdered before she was able to see her little sister again. Mm. On Friday, May 4th, 2007, 19-year-old Brittany got off her shift early that morning, and she had told her mother that after her night shift, she was going straight to her boyfriend's house to sleep. And Patricia said that this was out of character for her daughter because she usually came home from a night shift. She took a shower, she got some sleep, she ate something, and then she went to her boyfriend's house. Her boyfriend, Jeff Stogner, was her first love, and Brittany had never had a relationship or even been on a date. Unfortunately, her family was more con- more than concerned about her relationship with Jeff. He wasn't who they imagined their Brittany being with, and Brittany hated cigarettes and drugs, but Jeff smoked regularly and had an experience with drugs. And I think I said smoke. He smoked regularly. Yeah. And he had an experience with drugs. I think he had more than just the one. Oh. Just fine. Come Mm -hmm. at me, bro. Like, I'm trying here. (laughs) Jeez. Well, learn to read. No. No. Okay. (laughs) It's my prerogative to not (laughs) learn how to read. Uh, You're exactly right. You do you. Let me, yeah, let me live my life. Her family knew that the couple fought a lot and there was psychological and verbal abuse involved, but no one knew for sure if there was ever any physical abuse. In April of 2007, Jeff and Brittany broke up. Her family hated seeing Brittany heartbroken, but they also felt like she was better off not being around Jeff. But despite their breakup, Brittany and Jeff continued to communicate and it wasn't long before they were back together. Oh my God. Do you, I mean, 18, oh 19 years the old. Amount of times where it was like on again, off again, on again, off again. I know. It'd be like, we broke up and, you know, like your parents would be like, I thought you guys were already broken up. And it's like, well, no, we got back together. Of course. <laughs> but then we're broken up. And then a week later, it's yeah. like, we're back together. Yeah. And it's yes. like, but I'm going to break up with him again. Yeah, well, it's a matter of time, honestly, but yeah. That Friday, Brittany arrived at Jeff's house before 8 a.m. His family was there, including his parents and siblings, as well as his sister's boyfriend, Chad Carr. And not long after she arrived, Jeff's mother left for work. His siblings left for school along with Chad and Jeff and his stepfather arrived or headed to the Dallas-Fort Worth area to pick up grandparent. So this left Brittany by herself at the house. Around 2.20 p.m., Jeff called Patricia and asked her if Brittany was at her house. And she was surprised to get this call and she shouted at Jeff because she was supposed to be with him at his house. Patricia hung up and called Brittany's cell phone, but she got her voicemail. She called back a few more times and it continued to ring, then go to Brittany's voicemail. 
And this was super strange considering that Britney's cell phone was basically an extension of her arm. She typically always answered her phone. So then she called Jeff back who told her that yes, Britney was at his house and she was sleeping hard. Patricia was relieved that she was told that Britney was, you know, asleep at his house and she was like, just tell her that I love her and to call me when she wakes up. This just doesn't make any sense though. I had to honestly read it twice through to be like, did I make sense? Did I get this right? Because he says, is she with you? Because I don't know where she is. Right. Well, why are you saying you don't know where she is? Is it because you're calling her cell phone and she's not answering? You're calling the house and she's not answering? And then Patricia calls you back and you're like, oh, you know what? She's just really, really asleep. Oh, thank God she's asleep. How do you know that? Do you have eyes on her? Yeah. Did you go back home in, in that amount of time to find her? Right. Later that afternoon, two Wood County Sheriff's deputies showed up on Patricia's doorstep and her mother and son answered the door and Patricia could hear them ask for Brenda or Debbie. There was no one in the house by that name, so she figured it was a mistake and she walked away. After the deputies left, though, her mother told her that the deputies had mentioned the name McGlone. Concerned for her daughter, Patricia called the sheriff to ask why deputies had been to her home and the sheriff told her not to head to Jeff's, where she was planning on going. She was to stay where she was and he'd send them back out again. That's so weird. It's incredibly weird. You're like, okay, what is going on? Absolutely. So when deputies arrived back at Patricia's, they asked her to speak to her in private. And they told her that Brittany was dead, but they wouldn't tell her about what happened. All they said was that her body had already been sent sent to the funeral home and then they left. And Patricia said her first reaction was, again, from the beginning, that son of a bitch killed her. The director of the funeral home where Brittany's body was transferred to was the first one to tell Patricia that not only was her daughter dead, but that she had been brutally murdered. She was even like, I was asking them, like, was she in a car accident? Like, what happened? And they're like, no, just no. (laughs) Brutally murdered. What in the world? Mm -hmm. Patricia found out that Jeff had told police that he'd been on the phone with Patricia when he arrived home. He said he saw Brittany's truck in the driveway and assumed that she was sleeping. So that's why he told Patricia that she was sleeping. But again, that doesn't make any sense because everybody says that Brittany would answer her phone. And like, if she got at his house at eight o'clock, she's sleeping, that's six hours later. Like, right, almost seven hours later. I don't know. And this is 2007. And if I'm remembering correctly, it was Flip Phone Central. Right, yeah. Those LG chocolate, anybody? Oh, sure. Uh, Ringtone was very, very, very big, right? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Ring back tones are very big. Mm-hmm. But even if you put it on vibrate, like let's say we were going to bed and you wanted to put it on vibrate, the vibrate on those bitches oh my God. would shake the whole house. Like they yeah. were strong. So there, I would just believe that unless her phone was dead, she wouldn't have slept through something like that. You might sleep through one or two of those suckers, but you know, Patricia called her like a bunch of times. Sure. And Jeff is saying he's calling too. I don't know. I mean, maybe he did. Maybe he pulled in the driveway and was like, oh, her car is here. She just must be asleep. Right. But that's not what he said. He said she's sleeping hard. Mm-hmm. Which would indicate like that he, he had seen her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's just, this isn't assuming. That, to me, it doesn't sound like he's just assuming. It sounds like he's got his eyes on her. Yeah, you'd think he would have said, oh, well, I just got here and her truck is still here. So she must just be really asleep. I'll have her call you when she gets up. Right. That's not what he said. And furthermore, which we will get into a little bit later, but the fact that Patricia, so he calls Patricia and he says, hey, is Brittany with you? 
No, she's not. She's supposed to be at your house or with you. What the hell? Well, then Patricia calls him back, right? To say, hey, where is she? Have you found her? And he's like, oh, she's just sleeping. No big deal. So why didn't he call Patricia after he found out that she had passed away? Right. It'll make no sense. So, you know, he gets home. He walks into his room and he says he finds this like horrific scene. So 19-year-old Brittany Malone is nude. She's covered in blood. He called 911, but unfortunately, Brittany was already dead from obvious trauma. And Jeff later told Patricia, because she had the same fucking question, why would you not have fucking called me and told me that she was dead? He was like, well, the cop said I couldn't. Well, when you just called 911, I don't think the... I don't know. Maybe maybe he said, I've got to call her mom. And the dispatcher said, no, don't call her mom right now or something. But right. I just don't know. I don't, I don't think that that happened because there was, there's a time gap between when you find her and the officers get there. Mm-hmm. So you had plenty of time to call her and be like, oh my God, something has happened to Brittany. Especially since you already had a conversation with her mother earlier. And she's trying, actively trying to find her. Exactly. Yeah. And it sounded like you were trying to find her too. Yeah, exactly. Brittany's family was obviously devastated about her death. They couldn't understand who would want to hurt her or why. Hope said that the police told them that based on their initial investigation, there was no forced entry. So either the attacker knew that Brittany was alone or they knew that the family often left their back door unlocked. They also said that they believe that Brittany had been asleep when she was assaulted, that she never came to or realized what was happening. Brittany's autopsy revealed that she had some major wounds to her forehead and the back of her head. There were smaller wounds to the temples and sides of her head. It was determined that Brittany had been bludgeoned to death, ultimately succumbing to massive head trauma. They also told the family that there was no evidence of defense wounds, and Hope did say that there was bruising on her left hand, and since Brittany was left-handed, Hope thought she may have been awake and fighting. The assault appeared to be confined to the area where she was laying. Her clothes were folded neatly beside the bed. The clothes that she'd been sleeping in have never been located. Patricia said that she'd been told conflicting information about the possibility of sexual assault, but many reports indicate that she was. Investigators said that they believed Brittany's death to have occurred sometime, get this gap, Mm. guys, sometime between 8 a.m. Okay. And 3 p.m. Holy shit. That's the whole day. It's unknown what this conclusion was based on, but it seems to be simply because the last time she was seen alive was eight and then she was found dead at three. Seven hours. Yeah, I mean, okay. And guys, remember, we said this town is smaller than your mom is Jack Russell. Like, it's very small, 4,000 people total. I'm gonna venture to say that these investigators don't have a lot of experience in investigating murders. I'm not sure that her internal temperature was taken at that time. Right. So I don't know. Or other things that you can do to try to get close to time of death. Again, was the fan on in the room? I think they said like if you're laying on a bed, you know, because air can get under the bed. Oh, yeah. Lividity, like all these things like can change the temperature, can change things. But I don't know. It's just... It's not like this case is from the 1920s. Yeah. I mean, it's literally like, when's the last time you heard from her? Eight? Okay. And then what time did you find her? Three. All right. She must have been killed between eight and three. Yeah. It's just so crazy. I know. Yeah. Because we saw it. I mean, I know. anybody who's not even 
who's not a trained professional could have said, I could have gotten that, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, all right, let's talk about DNA. Jeff's DNA is obviously already on the scene. He was the last person to see her, but his DNA being there doesn't tell us jack shit, right? Well, yeah, it's his room, so. Exactly, so it's supposed to be there. And he was the last person to see her, which is usually going to heighten your level on a suspect list. But that's not the only reason he was the first suspect. Two deputies returned to Patricia's home that night to interview and get more information on Jeff and his relationship with Brittany. Soon after, they arrested Jeff and took him to jail on charges from an outstanding warrant, but they weren't able to charge him with anything involving Brittany's death. Investigators collected DNA from the bed, the wall, carpet, and clothing. They swabbed multiple individuals at the time, but didn't seem to find anything that pushed them towards a suspect. The DNA evidence was not substantial. An investigator even said that it seemed like the perpetrator had entered the home, tortured her, possibly sexually assaulted her, then killed her, all while wrapped in plastic wrap. They left very little to no physical evidence. They determined that the murder weapon had been T or cross-shaped, similar to a tire iron. Strangely, Police did not drag Lake Winsboro, which was behind Jeff's house. It was just 150 feet behind the home and could have been an easy disposal spot for a weapon. Years later, on a social media thread, Wood County Sheriff Tom Castlew admitted that officers who weren't familiar with proper crime scene investigation protocols had contaminated the scene. Oh, that is so frustrating. Yeah. Raise your hand if you just threw all your shit out the window. Right, exactly. That's all it takes, honestly. The sheriff's office had also allowed Jeff's family back into the house just hours after Brittany had been found. This is sounding so much like the Ramsey, JonBenet Ramsey case. Yes, they literally were just like, well, the dead body's not here anymore. Y'all come on back in. It's fine. Right? I cannot. So we're going to talk about some suspects. On Tuesday, May 8th, 2007, Brittany was laid to rest at Lee Cemetery. The family was forced to have a closed casket ceremony due to her injuries. Brittany's brother said that they had politely asked Jeff and his family to stay away from the funeral home that day. And despite Jeff having passed a polygraph test, Patricia and the rest of the family believed he was involved in her death. But surprise, surprise, Jeff and his family showed up anyway. And not only did they show up, but they were yelling and cursing at Brittany's family when they wouldn't allow them in for the service. So obviously this fueled suspicions even further. Even if Jeff wasn't involved in it, at all. He's not making himself look good. Yeah, and it is still her family's wishes, you know? Like, that would be hard, you know? And maybe you sit them down and be like, look, I really beg you to reconsider this or something, Mm -hmm. but hearing that they said no and then just showing up and expecting to walk in, like... And then yelling and cussing at them when they were like, no, we, we told you before, we really don't want you here. Yeah, like... That's not the right reaction. No. And again, I mean, I I can understand that Jeff and probably his family as well, because she spent some time with his family, wanted to maybe pay their respects, say their last goodbyes, that kind of thing. But at Mm -hmm. the end of the day, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you have to suck it up and maybe just go visit her cemetery, you know, the the cemetery, maybe Mm -hmm. go visit her gravesite after she's been buried. I mean, I just, no. Yeah. It's not how you do it. Patricia made it clear that she felt like Jeff wasn't honest with her about the day of her death, and she didn't understand why he told her that Brittany was asleep in his bed despite not having been in the house. 
But she also didn't believe that law enforcement prevented him from calling her and telling her that Brittany was dead. So law enforcement had supposedly cleared Jeff after his polygraph, as well as the fact that his alibi was verified by witnesses, video surveillance, and cell phone records. So he was not in the area, possibly. I mean, I guess if his phone call was really, really close to after he had talked to Patricia, Mm -hmm. then he probably didn't have enough time to get home and then kill her. And you'd think the police would at least have the wherewithal to be like, well, she either died hours ago or she just died 20 minutes ago. Mm -hmm. Like, surely you'd be able to tell the difference. But unless he killed her after he got home, Mm -hmm. he would not have been able to kill her before that. Call me. Maybe. What about before they left? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, because they they have no idea how when she was murdered. They have no idea. Mm-mm. Sometime between eight and three. And she got there before they all left for the day, didn't she? Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. Okay, call me a cynic, though. The fact that the police contaminated the crime scene, they let the family back into the house right after Brittany was taken away. Mm-hmm. And they didn't even think to search the lake behind their home for a possible murder weapon. I'm not sure if they checked out all the witnesses and all that kind of stuff. I mean, just me personally. I'm like, are we supposed to believe this? Uh, Yeah. And also they're like, well, I mean, it's as if this person did not force entry. So they either had access, knew that she was going to be alone or something. Then they came in and they killed her, possibly sexually assaulted her, but left absolutely no DNA evidence because we're not finding any DNA that belongs to somebody whose DNA is not supposed to already be here. Okay, but, and I'm not saying just arrest Jeff, like do more investigating, but his DNA is supposed to be there. So you're saying that this person, it's like they were wrapped in plastic because they didn't leave any or they did leave DNA, but it was already supposed to be there anyway. Right. You know, it's one of the two. Right. Or, I mean, and I don't know if I'm off base here, the family was let back in and they decided to go ahead and clean up the bedroom because somebody had just passed away there. Yeah, I mean, who knows? It's just all wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Because it was a while before police showed up to Brittany's mom's house. Like, we don't know how long after... Jeff found her that he called 911. I mean, mm-hmm. there's just so much that we don't know and they just didn't investigate any of it. It's just fucking bullshit. Right. But I'm thinking, yeah, I mean, it's just the the lack of investigation in all areas is where I have. Yeah, been. I just, I don't think him being in Dallas that day when you've got a time of death that fucking wide, which includes the hours when he saw her before he left and after he got back, mm-hmm. if that's included in the time span. Yeah. You know, like... And they have no idea. I mean, I don't know how easy or hard it is, but they have no idea if she was sexually assaulted. They have no idea. There's just so many things that it's a very, mm-hmm. there's just so many things that they just don't know. Yeah. And I, I'm not trying to be, you know, gross or anything like that, but Jeff is her boyfriend. So if they did like a vaginal swab, if they were to find his DNA there, doesn't necessarily mean that he killed her, right? It's very likely they could have slept together the day before or they could have slept together that morning before he left or, you know, like, again, supposed to be there, essentially. Like, right. Yeah. So Jeff wasn't the only person that Brittany's family was suspicious of. Another man became the primary person of interest and he had a big connection to Jeff. And this is Jeff's sister's boyfriend, Chad Carr. 
and Jeff's sister, Velva. That's an interesting name. Yeah, very interesting name. I keep wanting to say Velma, but mm-hmm. yeah. yes, Velva. That Velva. was Chad's girlfriend at the time of Brittany's death. And he was actually at Jeff's house the morning before everyone left. Hope said that when she asked Jeff to tell her about that morning at the house, he told her that Chad had asked him if Brittany was going to be with him or if she was going to be at the house alone. That's a weird way to ask that. Very much so. Like you might ask, is Brittany going too? Yeah. But I don't think you would say, or will she be at the house all alone? Right. Why do you need to know that? Exactly. Yeah. There were also rumors circulating that Chad had come back to the scene later that afternoon slash evening, freshly showered and with new clothes on. And Chad would also know that the family often left their back door unlocked. Chad's connection to Jeff and knowledge of the house weren't the only reasons that he was under suspicion, though. He also had a past of unprovoked violence against women. This is awful. So, if you have anything left in your house, get ready. (laughs) In 2000, Chad was first arrested and given three years of probation after burglarizing a building. And his next run-in with the law was a much stranger situation. In December of 2001, Chad and his wife were at a video store. They knew the young woman working the counter who had recently separated from her husband. She told them that she was staying in a trailer house on her parents' property. And that night, the young woman picked up her daughter and arrived home to the trailer house around 11 p.m. Just after 5 a.m., her dog started barking and woke her up. I guarantee she was mad as hell if her dogs woke her up at 5 a.m. I would have been pissed. Be like, shut up, there's nothing out there. I know, and then later I'm like, oh, thank you for protecting me. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, (laughs) I didn't mean to yell at you, but. So she heard the crunch of leaves outside being stepped on, followed by a knock on her door. Fuck that. I know. that. The door had a glass window and she could see Chad's face through it. So she opens the door and Chad told her that he'd been picking up a friend nearby who ended up not being home. Then why were you... Exactly. Oh, I was just just picking up my friend. He asked me to come by, but he ain't even home. Yeah. He called me and he was like, hey man, I'm gonna be right here. Come pick me up. And then he fucking just left. Yeah. He wasn't even there ever in the first place. No. It didn't happen. That's ridiculous. But anyway, so as he was getting ready to leave, he said that he saw someone snooping around the woman's trailer. And when he approached, he said that he saw a vehicle speeding away. The woman was clearly frightened by what Chad had said. And she asked him to wait on the porch while she grabbed her daughter and a few belongings. But when she walked back in, Chad was in the living room. Okay. No, sir. No, sir. It doesn't stop there. So she kneels down to grab something and Chad asked if she was sure no one else was in the house. Then he struck her hard in the back of the head with an object. Oh my God. Are you sure there's nobody else in here but you and your essentially helpless daughter? Yeah, I'm totally sure. Great. Boom. Boom. (sighs) When she stood up, she saw Chad drop something red with a rubber handle. He immediately apologized and said that he thought he saw someone and that he didn't mean to hurt her. What the fuck? Because she was like, you hit me in the head. What are you doing? He's like, no, I didn't. I I thought there was some, I thought there was somebody behind you. I meant to hit the person just behind you. It's like, just the two of us are in the room. Yeah. Oh my God. So the woman walked back into her room to grab her daughter and felt blood running down the back of her neck. And she had the suspect, Chad, take her to the emergency department. And he was arrested in January and sentenced to four years in prison for assault. I wonder, I wonder if she just was so like, I know this guy, you know, I know of him at least, like, I can't believe this would happen. And 
like, I mean, obviously he's like gaslighting the shit out of her because he's like, well, I thought I saw somebody else. Like, right. I'm, I'm here trying to help you. Like, I saw somebody around your house and I'm trying to help you. I just got spooked or whatever. Because it's it's strange to me that she let him take her to the emergency room. But she's also probably in shock. Yeah. Right. There's just got to be like, she's got to be like, I just can't believe this is happening. Like, mm-hmm. this what can't is she be supposed real. To do? He's already in her house. If yeah. she calls the police, depending on where she lives, it's going to take them a couple minutes to get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he's very apologetic. And oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. It was a total accident. I didn't mean to do it. And like, yeah, if he's there with this weapon or whatever, how are you going to get into your car, get your daughter into your car? And drive with blood pouring out of your head. Yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. So while Chad was in prison, his wife gave birth to their daughter or their their child. I don't know if it was a daughter, excuse me. And quickly divorced him. And when he was released in 2006, his ex-wife brought his children to Chad's aunt's house so he could see them. His aunt was not home. When the baby began to cry, Chad told her to ignore it. He tried to get her to come into another room with him, but she resisted. So Chad proceeded to physically remove the baby from her arms and put it into the carrier on the floor. He then began to make strong sexual advantages towards his ex-wife, which she again refused. And okay, the thing about about Chad is he's six foot two and weighs about 200 pounds at this point. Yeah, what is she gonna do? Exactly. He picks his ex-wife up from the floor and carried her into a bedroom where he raped her. Mm. Almost a year later, his ex-wife, after having significant counseling, heard about Brittany's murder, and she also heard about the suspicions surrounding her ex-husband. So then she proceeded to press charges against him for rape, and he was charged with aggravated assault, causing serious bodily injury, and was sentenced to eight years in prison. Mm. I mean, oh my gosh. Like, your baby is crying, and he's like, just, 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 just don't think about that. Don't think about that. That's not happening. Yeah, he just needs to get his rocks off. So he's like, I can't be bothered by this baby. Exactly. Oh my gosh. And the only reason why she was there was so so he could see his children. Exactly. And he's like, get the children out of here. I don't want to see them. Yeah. (laughs) I got stuff to do. Exactly. Throughout the investigation into Brittany's death, the Wood County Sheriff's Department has not been very forthcoming or helpful to the family. They've struggled to make Brittany's case a priority for police. They'd even been told by deputies that they had other things to do. In 2017, the sheriff was indicted on unknown charges and a deputy was charged with tampering with physical evidence and perjury. And this caused the family, rightfully so, to lose all trust in the department investigating Brittany's murder. Fortunately, in December of 2021, a new sheriff was elected to the Wood County Sheriff's Department. Sheriff Kelly Cole, who was a criminal investigator when Brittany died, hopes that he can bring case bring her case into the light. He said that his team has multiple persons of interest and that during their investigation, they've discovered evidence that leads them to believe that two individuals were involved in Brittany's murder. At this point in time, the way we look at it, we're not ruling anyone out. It's just, it's not just finding someone to arrest, Sheriff Kelly said. We want to make sure we've got everything like it needs to be because we may only get one shot at prosecuting this. And we want to make sure that that counts. Both Patricia and Hope said that this is the first sheriff that they've trusted to do everything in his power to help solve Brittany's murder. I mean, that's awful to have to say. Mm-hmm. You know, like we finally got some, and we've heard that so many times, you know, we finally got somebody who seems like they care. And it's not even like, it's not like the family is saying stuff like that because it hasn't been solved. And so they're just like, well, 
you can't solve it because you don't want to solve it or you don't care. Like, it's not like they're just like throwing that out there. They literally, like when Patricia has called before and said, you know, I would, I want some answers. Like I'm trying to figure out what is going on in my daughter's case or like who killed my daughter or whatever. Somebody that she talked to there was like, yeah, well, and the guy who stole his fucking uh, tractor wants to know who did that too. Right. (laughs) You know, but we can't all get what we want basically. Right. Like literally likening this woman's child's life to a guy who had his lawnmower or tractor or whatever fucking stolen. Mm-mm-mm. Not the same, dude. No, it's not the same. It's just, it's sickening that yeah. somebody could could tell a family that has just lost a loved one something yes. like that. Yeah. You can say, I promise you, I know it feels like we're not getting anywhere with it, but, you know, they're things that we have to do to make sure that we're doing it right and we're following the leads and, you know, whatever. I'm sorry that it's taken longer. We would like to have this solved sooner, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. But no, saying something like that is absolutely unexcusable. Well, absolutely. And it's also really hurtful because, I mean, for everything that we just said, but it makes them, I'm sure it makes the family feel like they don't care. Like my daughter, whoever's life is not important. Exactly. Yep. mm -hmm. Doesn't matter. But thankfully, Sheriff Kelly is in the mix. So at Mm -hmm. least they've got some hope. And he communicates with them. He keeps them updated on what's going on with the case. And he's actually hoping that advances in DNA testing will help give them the answers that they're looking for. Reportedly, Jeff has not been completely ruled out of being involved in Brittany's death, but he has been cooperating with the new investigation. Chad Carr was released from prison in November 2020 and was not placed on parole or required to register as a sex offender. That sounds great. I'm so happy about that. He went to jail for aggravated rape. Mm-hmm. And he's not a sex offender? This guy is like tough one, man. I know. He has never uh, passed a polygraph test either, which, you know, whatever, but still. Uh, Jeff is still believed to be in Hopkins County, just about 45 minutes from Wood County. Hope believes that her sister could have been murdered with the intention of sexual assault. There is no clear motive, though, at this time. She said that Brittany was a good person and wasn't into, like, things she shouldn't have been into. She also thinks that whoever killed Brittany knew that she was going to be alone for some time. And that's very important because, again, we have no forced entry. And this family often left their back door unlocked. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's possible that a stranger approached the house and the back door just happened to be unlocked. Sure, but it is a very interesting time frame because this is Mm -hmm. the middle of the day. It's the middle of the day and a shit ton of people live in this house. Right. And everybody happens to be gone. gone. Exactly. Mm -hmm. A random person would have to just so happen, and I'm not saying that it's not possible. I know it is possible, but it is much more slim for that person to show up when everybody's gone for the day. The dad and Jeff are gone to get the grandparent. Other people are at school. Other people are at work. Like, But only Brittany's left. Also, Brittany never sleeps there like that. She usually goes to her house to sleep. Right. And then come over after she has showered, slept, eaten, Mm -hmm. all things. Yeah. So she's going to be asleep. She's not probably not going to hear if somebody were to come in the house. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the, that's too much of a coincidence to me. Absolutely. I mean, it's not like this was her everyday routine and it happened. And I'm not saying that even then that's okay, but 
it's just so crazy that this was completely outside of her norm. Mm -hmm. And then all of these other factors are playing into it and it still happened the way that it did. Like it doesn't make any sense. Exactly. For it to be a completely random attack. Yeah, exactly. Both Hope and Patricia, as well as the rest of Brittany's family, continue to advocate for her. And despite it being difficult to find Hope in their situation, they look forward to the day when those who were responsible for Brittany's death are brought to justice. And for more information, you can visit the Facebook group titled Who Killed Brittany McGlone for more information. And we will link to that in the show notes as well. Torella, can I ask you what you think? Mm, No, you may not. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Um, I feel very much like it's a Chad car. I agree. Yeah. I mean, it is suspicious. The Jeff stuff is suspicious, but his phone records do show that he was out of town. And I Mm -hmm. just feel like at the very least, the police department would be like, she either died 20 minutes ago or hours ago, and Jeff wouldn't have been there hours ago. Right. I find it very interesting, though, that whoever did this, if she was beaten and... I mean, the crime scene wasn't, it wasn't like it was completely spotless or anything, but I believe that it was Chad or could have been Chad Mm -hmm. because he was in that house too. And it was not uncommon for him to be in the house. So if we're talking about how there's DNA that is not an unknown DNA source. Correct. Yeah. Because Velva lived there from what I understand. Yeah. So he would have been there visiting her often. Right. And he was there that morning anyway. So, yeah. And, I mean, who knows if that's the what was said was true or right. not, but if Chad said, hey, is Brittany coming with us? And especially the way he said it, or is she staying home alone from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m.? Then that's, yeah. I mean, You'd think if Chad said something like that to Jeff and then Jeff gets home and we know Chad's history and Jeff gets home and his girlfriend is brutally murdered, You'd think he'd be like saying something to the police, like, hey, you need to check into him because he asked if she was going to be home alone all day. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that that is a weird, like, I can't think of a situation where like anywhere that we go, you know, like, and I ask somebody, you know, is everybody coming? Or mm-hmm. are some people maybe going to be home by themselves for a long time? That's not a common way. That's not a no. normal, natural Just, way of saying that. Who all's going? Yeah, exactly. Are it are they coming or are they not? Yeah, exactly. Doesn't matter where they're going to be instead. What you know? Yeah, like yeah. When we were in Vermont, like some people went on a hike, some people didn't. Nobody said, "Well, did she go on a hike or did she stay at the home by her, uh, at the house by herself for several hours all alone?" Yeah, exactly. Just a sit and duck. I mean, I just wonder if, and I'm not ruling Jeff out completely either. No. But I mean, it could be. The thing is, we don't know, obviously. So, what if Chad? Chad carried out the murder, but Jeff was in on it. It could happen. Yeah, that's a possibility because then, you know, Jeff gives Chad the information. Hey, Brittany is going to be here by herself because why did she go sleep there? Right. And it could have just been, you know what? I know I'm going to be there later. His house is going to be empty so I can maybe get better rest or something. I don't know. It could have been a completely innocent reason that she went over there to sleep. I completely understand that. But it also is so out of the norm that it's like, but why did she? Because you would think if, you, if you're getting off a long shift and you're going to go to sleep for like most of the day, you don't want to be in somebody else's house. Mm-hmm. That's kind of... I wouldn't sleep good if I was in somebody else's house. Mm-mm. And 
I mean, that could very well be the reason why he called Patricia back or told Patricia, hey, she's just sleeping because he knew that she either was still asleep at that point or was already dead. Mm -hmm. Possible. Just never know. And the reason, this is why, like, this isn't a conspiracy theory, but this is why conspiracy theories happen because we don't have proper investigation in some situations and we don't get the information. So then you have to, like, start wondering, okay, well, what about this? What about that? What about this? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, there's just all kinds of stuff. But I think it's, I mean, it's one of them, if not both of them, I lean toward Chad Carr. Yeah, I think they have good suspects. I'll say that. Yeah, for sure. And it, I mean, it does sound like the sheriff, Kelly Cole, is genuinely interested in trying to pursue the truth. Thank goodness for that. Yes, because this poor family, my God. I know. They've been through enough. Yeah, absolutely. But we would love to hear what you think. Yes. Do you have any suspects? Do you think that one of the suspects that we've named is a proper suspect? I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What are we missing? Exactly. Okay, guys, so now we are to the update in this case. This literally just happened. According to the Wood County, Texas Sheriff's Office, an arrest has been made in the case. On August 31st, 2022, a warrant was obtained by the Wood County Sheriff's Office for the arrest of Chad Earl Carr for capital murder. Finally! I know. On September 1st, 2022, Captain Mike Chilson and Ranger John Vance traveled to the DFW area and located Chad Carr at 2525 Stemmons Freeway in Dallas, Texas. Chad Earl Carr was arrested for the 2007 murder of Brittany McGlone. Chad Carr was then magistrated and transported back to the Wood County Jail, where he was booked in for capital murder. His bond is set at $1 million. Sheriff Cole and the Wood County Sheriff's Office have worked diligently over the last year and a half to bring closure to the family of Brittany McGlone. And we will link to all of the sources for this, too, because this is a statement I took directly uh, from their Facebook page. Yes. Um, And as we mentioned in the episode, Chad was suspected by the family very early on in the case. And he's actually even had some interactions online with Brittany's family over the years. Here's a comment he left on one of the posts in the Who Killed Brittany McGlone Facebook page. And I think it was Patricia, Brittany's mom, that reposted this just a couple days ago since he's been arrested. And she said, oh, the irony. (laughs) Um, So he says, Patricia Tice, let me start off by saying that it's a terrible thing that happened to your daughter. No mother should have to go through what you have for all these years. I'm posting on this page today to clear something up that either you're not letting people know or maybe you don't even know yourself. When I was arrested after Brittany's murder, my DNA was taken by the attorney general's office and tested against DNA evidence found at the scene. I was told by the detectives that there were two separate DNA samples found inside Brittany and other DNA samples found in the room she was in. And those DNA samples were tested against my DNA and came back negative. There was no DNA match. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. That's oh, when the, the irony. I get it. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's when the secret hearing was done and I was released. I've cooperated with the police and answered their questions. I even talked to them again at your request many years ago, if you remember. Mm-hmm. This page for Brittany is full of half-truths and even some lies because people would rather gossip than truly seek answers. <gasps> I'm going to hit him. Yep. 
I have to throw myself out the window. Yeah. Um, because I'm home alone. Every person who has commented or posted on this page has had the opportunity to message me or ask any question they want concerning this case, but nobody ever did. The people who are uh in my life, both male and female, old and new, all know about my past and have talked with me about this page and all that it claims. I'm not hiding anything from anyone. There's so much that is discussed on this page that nobody who is talking about it really knows the truth behind. We as people are so quick to accept and pass on everything we hear that we no longer really search for the truth of our, our own anymore. And that doesn't bring justice to Brittany. He just wants justice for Brittany. So everyone on here can talk about me all they want and believe whatever they want to, but by doing so, no real progress is made for Brittany, you, or your family. Oh my God. He... Okay, all right, I get he's been arrested and he's not been convicted yet. But with everything else that's happening and they've arrested him, that I would think that means that they've gotten, they've developed enough evidence to put him Mm -hmm. at the scene. Mm -hmm. And he says he wasn't there. Mm -hmm. So he sits there writing this long ass, holier than thou. You need to search for the truth and really do your due diligence. Yeah, he is so condescending when he's talking and directing it specifically to Patricia, which is just hateful enough all by itself. But for him to be like, you guys are missing the point here. We need to keep our eye on the prize. What is the point of this? This is not helping Brittany. Yeah, we have to help Brittany and this isn't helping Brittany knowing full well he fucking killed her. I know. I mean. And asserting yourself into something like this when you're guilty as fuck. Mm -hmm. um, Bold bold move, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off. I mean. So like we said, Chad was arrested for the capital murder of Brittany on September 1st, 2022. And Brittany's sister, Hope, um, she has mixed emotions about the arrest. According to KLTV News, she said... It feels like there's a little bit of celebrating to do, but it's also kind of bittersweet. And we know it's going to be a difficult road. He doesn't deserve to see the light of day again. He doesn't deserve to be out among society. He's already done damage to previous families, previous women. So I think it's time for him to be put away. Mm. And according to an article on NBC News, it is unclear at this time what led to Thursday's arrest. But when Dateline featured Britney's case in 2021, the newly elected sheriff, Kelly Cole, felt confident that they could solve Britney's case. I didn't actually see that on Dateline. I didn't either. Um, but it, and that was, what, a year ago? Mm-hmm. Maybe I did see that Dateline, actually. Hmm. I don't remember now. Anyway. What are all the Datelines you've ever watched? Okay. In order, I'll, tell me. Yes, I'll start right now. Thank you for asking. Episode one was. Um, but Sheriff Cole told Dateline at the time that there was plenty of evidence from the scene, like bloodstains and DNA, that they planned to test. So planned, planned. this sounds like they hadn't they hadn't tested it against certain people yet. Yeah, but it's just amazing that Chad is so confident. They've tested me against all of the evidence, and it is negative. Exactly. Like, like yeah. You sure about that? You sure about that? You sure about that? Uh, he's in the clear, according to Chad. So, well, <laughs> now where are you, Chad? You're in fucking jail. Yeah. And uh, I hope nobody bails your ass out. And I hope exactly. that it's swift justice. Yes. We will be continuing to follow up on this case. Thank you to everybody who sent us this update. Um, anytime you see an update on a case that we've covered, please let us know because... We've covered a lot and it's hard to keep up with all of the updates. So um, we definitely want to follow this and see what happens. See if he goes to trial. See if he pleads guilty. Like we want to see what happens here. 
Absolutely. But um, thank you guys so much. We love you. Bye. Bye. All right, you guys. It's shout out time. What else do we call it? Uh, fuck up your name time. Yeah. Yeah. So if you uh, if you want us to fuck up your name, then make sure you join our Patreon at the $10 tier or higher, and we will certainly do our best. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or our worst. Well, Never either mind. way. Yep. Sometimes they're the same. Oh, they are one and the same for us, yeah. So we want to give a Hey Girl thanks to Emily Sheehan, Nicole Loperfido, Keely Marble, Emily Hintz, Kayla Campbell, Amy Eisenhower, Brenna Hiltbrand, Brand, Laura Henson, Sarah Sardinsky, Kelsey Willis, Jennifer, Amber King, Sarah Scroggs, Amber Janiak, Megan, Ellen Joseph, Jessica Caldwell, Ash Solly, Juliana Hooper, Lindsay Munkler, Savannah Rowland, M, and it looks like maybe Emily Brown, yeah, uh, Madeline Gressley, Annabelle, Kathleen R, Lainey Griffin, Rachel Mayhar, Avery Archer. Amy Heggie, Mimi Richardson, Chloe, or as Tori likes to pronounce it, Chlo. We don't know how it's pronounced, okay? Could be Chlo, you're right. <sighs> Rebecca Mitchell, Nicole White, Kendra MM, Charlotte Prunty, and Trisha Cian. Hey guys, thank you so much. We love you, and um, we're just so happy you're here. Yay, thank you, bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye! The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at killerqueenspodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. 